If you are not wired to be an entrepreneur, I don't think you should do this. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Bruce Peterson. Bruce, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing excellent. A uh, little bit about Bruce. He is the apartment guy. He's the best-selling author, speaker, educator, and syndicator of commercial multifamily properties throughout Central Texas and Tennessee. Bruce targets assets and dynamic markets from stabilized to totally vacant and everything in between where there's a strong value-add component or stable cash flow. Uh, a little bit more, He's a, a, was awarded the Austin Apartment Association's Independent Rental Owner of the Year in 2016, the National Apartment Association's Independent Rental Owner of the Year in 2017, as well as Think Realty's Multifamily Investor of the Year in 2019. So you guys are not listening to some slouch here. This guy has got it going on. He's been doing some great things in the space. He's also been featured by Million Acres, uh, Forbes Entrepreneur and Business Insider, um, and is the owner and founder of Streetversity.com. So with that said, Bruce, give our listeners a bit more about your background, and, and then we'll, we'll dive into what you're focused on today. So in the space that we play in my, I guess my story is not totally uncommon, but it shocks people still that, you know, I'm a college dropout. My parents were high school dropouts. You know, the, the formal education thing didn't work for me. I was the first, Congrats, as I by said, the way. well, thank you. But I was the first person in my family to graduate high school, but then I went to college because you're supposed to go to college. It's 1986. I'm 53, but back in 1986, well, that's what you had to do. You know, it was just kind of ingrained into us. It was the dogma of the time. And so I went to college. Shit, I barely got out of high school. I don't know why I'm going to college. It was a disaster. I failed out. Uh, I, I hated it. You know, to, to use weird buzzwords, I'm a lifelong learner, but I do not do well in a structured environment. It, it drives me nuts. It bores me to tears. So, you know, I dropped out of college. And without a college degree, I fell into retail. I did retail for almost 20 years and I thought I liked retail because I was, you know, feeding myself the same lie that everybody in retail feeds themselves or very many people. Oh, I like people. Therefore, I like retail. I liked retail until I hated retail. Um, the last year or two, I was working 80 to 110 hour weeks. Didn't have a family, didn't have a girlfriend, no pet, nothing. You know, what can you have when you work in 100 hour weeks? And, you know, I'm five foot eight, I was 240 pounds. So I was, I was lonely. I'll admit all this in hindsight. I was lonely. I was depressed as hell. I hated my life. Uh, I was terribly unhealthy. And I thought, you know what? This shit's going to kill me. So I just quit. I just walked in at 42 mm -hmm. years old, put my keys on my boss's desk, said, dude, I'm gone. So I put all my stuff and I was renting everywhere I went, because I got moved around constantly in retail. Um, so I was renting, I put all my stuff in storage, and I packed up a rental car and drove around the eastern half of the United States for about a month to a month and a half, just trying to decompress and find myself. Mm. You know, what am I going to do now that I'm an adult? I'm a grown up now, but I don't know what the hell I want to do. Um, went and bought a house out in the suburbs of Austin in a golf course community. I listened to Dave Ramsey, I paid cash for it. 
because I was very miserly with my money. I saved it. I invested it well in the stock market, average 12 to 15% returns a year. So I was doing pretty well. Um, but I paid cash for the house, paid cash for my car. Then I found real estate. And I realized by listening to a mentor, that's all broke minded stuff. Dave Ramsey is good. Susie Ormond, they're good if you're financially broken, not broke, but broken. Well, I wasn't financially broken. I listened to my mentor. I sold my house that I paid cash for because I don't have a job anymore. Nobody will give me a loan to get the equity out. So I sold my house in this golf club community and I moved into an apartment complex. And my friends are like, what are you doing? You're going backwards. I'm like, I How believe old are you when you in this path. I'm 42. Okay. So I was like, I believe in this path. So just, just watch. You have a family. You can't do what I'm yeah. doing. I get it. If I die or if I fall over financially, you know, don't do what I'm doing. But so, you know, it's the best thing I've ever done. You know, I make and not to make it about numbers, but numbers make give you more f- flexibility in life and more options. Yeah. I make 15 times what I used to make. My net worth has gone up 30 times. It's a whole different world. I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm in control of my own schedule and destiny to a degree, right? So, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years now. I started in 2011 with my education, bought my first property in 2012. It's the best thing I've ever done. It's financially rewarding. It's emotionally rewarding by helping others. I get to provide investment for other people, jobs for other people, and places to live for other people. So, man, I love everything I'm doing now. That's great. That's great. What a story though. 42 years old, you're working. What, like, what did you do in retail? So I was a big box store manager. My last job was with Bed Bath & Beyond. I was a store manager and I was next in line at one point to be the next district manager. So I was getting close to another promotion. Yeah. I was like, guys, I can't do this shit anymore. Uh, it, yeah. Like I said, I was, I, was stre- I was physically nauseated every day I went to work. I was starting to get short with customers and I liked customers, but now I'm getting short with them. I went on vacation um, went to a, catch a couple of Rockies games. I'm a baseball fan. I came fr- back from that one week off and thought, oh, wow, that's the first vacation I've ever taken that didn't recharge my batteries. My batteries were still drained. So I was like, I, I got to figure this out. I have nobody depending upon me but me. If I end up under a bridge, which I had a fair amount of money, but I knew that the risk that for most people that I was about to take, if I ended up under a bridge, it was just me. So I had to make a change and take a risk by the traditional metrics and thought processes. And again, getting me out of a miserable situation that I hated, it changed my life. Yeah. I think you said you're 5'8 and 246. You don't look like you're 246 anymore. No, no. (laughs) I lost 100 pounds of fat. Uh, I got myself down to 159 at my lowest um, that math isn't hundred pounds, but if you figure I was adding weight, cause I was working with, yeah. I mean, uh, as a muscle, I was muscle. working with a trainer. So that tells me I lost roughly hundred pounds of fat. You know, I just cleaned wow. myself up. I, I got to where I wasn't depressed. I didn't hate my life. Mm-hmm. I found a trainer. Uh, I found a wife in real estate, which was fantastic. So now I have a, a, a full family. Um, yeah, it's again, I wasn't afraid to step away and basically start over. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it was more of a, you know, the, the real estate, it just, just by what you did, it was more of just a, a change. I need a change and I'm going to take control of my life versus where you were at before just letting life run you. It sounds like, is that, is that accurate? 
Oh, yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, that's the thing I didn't. My, I'm wired as an entrepreneur, I think, looking back on it now. I've got that rebel streak in me that I don't like to be told what to do. Yeah. My wife hates that about me, obviously. But, you know, yeah. my joke with everybody to try to explain exactly how my brain works. If you tell me not to light myself on fire, even though I know I might die, I'll light myself on fire because you told me I shouldn't. Yep. That's who I am. That does not work in corporate America. I am not PC. I am not HR friendly. I stayed in trouble with HR. I've got a salty tongue, right? I say some curse words. The name of my book is syndicating as a bitch. That doesn't fly well in a very structured uh, culture. So now I'm in charge of culture. I have multiple companies and it's my job to set culture in a safe way that people can be who they are truly but still get things accomplished and be respectful of each other. You know, I, I like the, uh, that you, you tell this story and you're 42 years old when you had this kind of like, uh, this is ridiculous. I'm done. This is this, I'm just, you know, stuck in this job. Most people that talk to me and tell me their story, they started in their job if they had a job and, and you know, they worked for a couple of years, but by the time they were 30 or maybe even earlier, they had started the real estate journey. Right. Um, but it just shows that it doesn't matter what age you're at, you know, 42, 32, 22, you can still do it. And I have talked to a few people that are even 50 in their fifties and sixties that, that transition, but it's nice to hear from people that are a little bit older. Cause I know I've got listeners that are sitting here going, yeah, but man, I, it just, like I'm already at a certain age, you know, and I, can I really do it at that age? Uh, and it shows that, yeah, you can. Well, a lot of people think I'm, I'm, it's too late for me. I missed it. I didn't take guys, wake the hell up. You yeah. are 50, even if you're 60 or 70 years old, I firmly believe most of us alive today are going to live to be a hundred. Yeah. If you're in your thirties or forties, you're probably going to live to be 110, 120. You got all kinds of time. Yeah, Quit thinking about the, the, tra the traditional timeline of our lives. We're not going to retire at 65 and then just hope to make it another five or 10 years on our savings before we die. It's not the way our lives are going anymore. Right. If you retire at 65, you damn well better have 40 years of shit saved, or I don't know what to tell you. Yep. You're going to be living on family members, the government, because you're not going to be able to take care of yourselves. Yep. And people are still saving if they're saving at all. They're still saving for that 65 and then die by 75. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And if it does, you know, well, congratulations, you, you planned it. But man, I mean. But that's not a good plan. <laughs> it's not a great plan. And what happens if you do live to 90, 90 or, or 100? Exactly. You know, now you're sitting here going, oh, crap. You know, what did I, what did I just do? And, you know, you, I, I was, uh, somebody asked me the other day, like, well, what, you know, what would I need if I wanted to retire at 65? And I'm like, well, you know, what kind of lifestyle? So we talked about it. I did the calculation. I'm like, look, if you're going to live to, to 90 to hundred, you're going to need like three to $4 million to live the yep. life you want to live. Like where are you at? You know? Yeah. And you see the eyes. Yeah. Like, holy like <laughs> so I, I coach people quite a bit and I, that's one of my first questions, you know, okay. You're asking me to how, how to do real estate and you're asking me how, where, how big, what should I, 
what's your number? What, what are you trying to get from this? What's your number? They're like, what do you mean? What's my number? Yeah. And you'd be surprised. You probably wouldn't. It sounds like you had these conversations. How many people don't know what their number is? And by my, your number, I mean, for you to walk away from the life that many of you hate, what does that take monthly in income? You know, figuring that a lot of your income now is going to be tax advantaged, but still you got to have a baseline number. What, how do you know how to get somewhere if you don't know where you're trying to get in the first place? Yeah. And, you know, I taught um, a class the other day about, you know, just how to underwrite. Uh, well, no, no, it wasn't the underwriting class. It was the lending class. Uh, I had a good buddy of mine, Hans Box, come in and talk to my group about, you know, multifamily and commercial lending. And you're talking about, you know, some of the foundational stuff. You need a bio and you need a PFS. I said, hey, hang on. I, I want to interject. I apologize, Hans. But how many people in here have a PFS? Half the room didn't even know what it was. How many people didn't even know what that means, right? Yeah, half the, the half that didn't know what it was, maybe 30 to 40% of them actually had one. Like, you know, forget about commercial real estate. Forget about trying to get a loan. How do you not know your financial hmm. wherewithal? How do you not have a balance sheet for yourself? Yeah. You know, people don't, it's, it's a lack of financial literacy at, at every single level. You know, it's not just that maybe you're saving in the wrong vehicle or doing the wrong thing here. People don't even know what they're worth. And that's the foundational base of all of it to me. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you need to understand. Uh, I mean, lots of good points there, right? You need to understand where you're going, what you actually want to achieve. Like if you're going to go down, go down a journey and take some risks, like what are you actually trying to achieve? And then, what do you need to do? Like, you know, a lot of people want to quit their job. Okay. What's that look like? Or I want to, I want financial freedom. What's financial freedom look like? What's your number? Like you said, like, what, what is your number? I haven't thought about that. Well, start thinking about it. Like you need, you need to understand. And then where are you at right now? Like most people right. don't have, don't have a clue. So, love it. Um, so, so Bruce, you got this book. What, what's, you know, the title of the book, you already said, right? What is it? Syndicating is a bitch. And so why? What, why? Why that title? And explain to me a little bit. Because I've been to lots of conferences, expos, and all these things where people on stage are, hey, join us and you'll be rich yesterday. Yeah. You know, I listened to a guru out of the Dallas area at a conference that I spoke at about three months ago. And he went up before me and he said, hey, how many people have heard in this room that, you know, people around them say my, my income or my net worth or whatever your metric is, what up 10 X during, during COVID everybody raises their hand as well. You know what? They weren't, uh, they weren't passive investors. They were active investors. They were sponsors. They were syndicators. I could teach you how to do that. It's only 300 million trillion dollars. People get into these rooms and they hear people at the front of the room telling them this is what they've got to do. And if they do, they're going to be worth $10 million tomorrow. Well, I'm worth $13 today. That math is not going to work for you. I'm sorry. You could be that some at some point. Yeah. It's like a Tony Robbins event. You get swept up in this fervor, in this emotion. You write somebody a twenty dollars to $40,000 check because you hear all the success stories. They parade their students across the stage that, oh my God, you know, he changed my life. And then you leave the conference and you start digging in a month, two, three, four months down the road. You go, holy shit, this is hard. They didn't tell you how hard it was. They told you how easy it was or how anybody can do this. And both of those statements are wrong to me. 
It's not easy. It's really hard. And not anybody can do this. If you are not wired to be an entrepreneur, I don't think you should do this. There's other things you can do. So I was tired of people not lying on stage. They're good people with good programs, but they're not giving you the full truth. It is lucrative. It does work, but it's going to be a shit ton of hard work. It's going to be stressful. I've cried. I've had sleepless nights. We've had employees die. We've had residents die. We, we've had you know the big freeze in February here in, uh, in Austin. Things are going to happen. I've been sued. Most people aren't ready for that. And, and again, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but understand what this is. So I wrote the book to pull the curtain back. This is every single step you need to do your own syndication. I put it all there. It's not a teaser book. Oh, here's just enough to show you that, oh, you can do it too, but you got to reach out to me and give me 20 grand. No, for $20, the price of a book, I lay the whole thing out. But I tell you some stories along the way. Are you sure you want to really do this? You get to chapter six. You still with me? So I keep doing that all through the book with scary stories, just trying to give you the reality of it all. So when you get to the end of the book, if you decide, look, man, this is this was eye-opening, and it's not really for me, good. I think everybody should do this if they're cut out to do this. But if I can save somebody, not just the twenty dollars to $40,000 loss, but the, the, the emotional toll it's going to take on you, the brain damage you're going to sustain doing this. I love it. Not everybody loves it. That's why I wrote the book. I, I like it. it. It cuts. It's, it's, it sounds like you cut out a lot of the BS. You, you're right. I mean, a lot of these books and especially when you get up on to hear the people that are up on stage and they're parading around telling you how easy it is and how you can become a, you know, a millionaire and, and we will all be able to do what we want and when we want and with who we want and how we want and all this kind of stuff. And it's like that, that's all true. Right. You, but like you said, you have to be wired for it. You have to be driven for it. You, it's not everybody, not, there's plenty of people that will try it and will fail for many different reasons by the way. And, and so I, I love that you tell some of those stories. It's not the sexy way to write a book, right? The, the sexy way is to tell people how glamorous it is and how, uh, you know, you, you're building this million, million dollar fortune and you'll never have a problem in your world ever again. But it sounds like you say, no, 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 not so fast. You can do this if you want to, but here's, here's the reality. Are you sure you want to do this? Because once you start, you know, uh, you're taking other people's money, which is wildly important to be uh, a good steward of their money. And yeah, so I, I love that idea. And talk about the sleepless nights. Uh, I don't know about you, but man, COVID hit and uh, these moratoriums happened. And yep. I, we, we had, we had a property. I had a, two properties actually, or kind of sister properties. And we had 75% occupancy because we were doing a major lift on them. Okay. We just got done renovating 30 units in one of the, one of the properties, 30 out of 120. Uh, no, sorry. It was, I think it was both the buildings. So 30 out of the, the 204. Um, so they're all vacant. And then all this happened and I'm like, crap, I'm done. Like, I can't, I got to rent these units out. I'm screwed. Like, and it's not going to, they're not going to rent because it's COVID, you know? I mean, I remember looking at my wife, I'm like, well, 
You ready to start over? <laughs> it's gonna be a it's gonna be a bumpy ride here. Let's yeah. hold on, you know. And and the same people think about the people in the, during the Great Recession. You know, I mean, same thing. Like it, being an entrepreneur, it's a fun journey. Uh, if you're cut out for it, it's not always easy. Right. So you know, people a lot of times say, "Well, I'll have a a third party property management company, so I won't have to deal with all." Yeah. Good luck. Okay. So you're not <laughs> going to have to deal with the day to day with the residents. Yeah. But you are the deal sponsor. You're probably the asset manager. You have to go communicate to your 10 to maybe 100 or 200 investors. Uh, you know those regular three-month, uh, every three-month distributions that you were used to getting? Yep. Well, why, why do you ask? Because they ain't coming. Like, well, what, what, what do you mean? I need them. Guys, I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to send out another distribution. We're still profitable. We're stacking the money, basically. It's retained earnings. It's still in the company. But like you said, all the moratoriums. Yeah. Facebook was crawling with threats of rent strike by all these different people that yeah. don't get the way economics works. So that was going on out there. The government stepped in, said you can't kick anybody out. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they're GSEs. They say you can't kick anybody out. You can't charge late fees. So I'm thinking there's no incentive for anybody to ever pay me again in their lives. They'll just ride this out and they'll just leave when it's over, when I can afford to, uh, when I'm allowed to. Uh, evict them for non-payment of rent. Well, they're like, oh, well, I lived here for a year without having to pay. So pick me out. No, I don't care. I mean, you're never getting get money from me. Saved $20,000. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And for our residents, $20,000, that's, that's life-changing, right? So I was like, look, guys, I don't know what to expect. Will anybody pay me rent again? I can't send money out in this environment until I have a better understanding of where we are and what's going to happen. So I had to tell people there was about, it was either a two or three quarter period where we didn't send out distributions Yeah. of my 300 active investors at the time. About four of them called me in a panic. I'm like, I can't help you, man. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I have to protect the financial well-being of the company. Yeah. Not you as an individual because all 300 of you are different individuals. Yep. Whatever I do for one, I have to do for all. And frankly, Mr. or Mrs. Investor, what I'm hearing from you and your sense of panic, and I and I understand, and I'm so sorry you're going through this. But if I do get into a situation where we have to do a cash call, well, you're telling me by your actions, you cannot participate. Well, if that happens, we're going to lose the property. And now we've lost all of our money. It, so yeah, that that's part of it that, okay, you might have a property management company, but you still have to be the voice to the investors, calm their nerves. So it it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not hand the keys over and then, you know, just start collecting the paycheck. That's not what you're doing as, as the, uh, the general, the, the lead sponsor. So uh, certainly a lot of work and, and, you know, you're still dealing with the property manager, you're still dealing with a lot of choices that happen on the properties and, and, uh, and there's plenty, there's certainly plenty to do. Um. Bruce, what's a, what's a mistake that you've made on this journey and how can our listeners learn from it? So a mistake, you know, basic things. Um, my very first property, you know, what's my first property? I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm leaning on a coach yeah. and the coach that I used was fantastic. She was super qualified, super successful, but I didn't know to really look at the structural integrity of a bathtub. Hmm. As crazy as that sounds, people are like, what? How is that one of your, well, let me tell you, 
you buy a 30 to 40 year old asset. Some people are buying 50 year old assets now built in the early 70s, late 60s. You have a plastic or a fiberglass bathtub. 40 to 50 to 60 years of stepping in that bathtub, that thing starts to flex a little bit. You can't tell, but it's flexing. Over time, it will lose its structural integrity and it'll spring a leak. I didn't know when you have those little plastic mats in the bottom of the bat bottom of the bathtub, you need to lift those up and look under. You need to really pay attention to those bathtubs. So I didn't know to do that. So in a 48 unit, my first purchase, I had four or five bathtubs wow. fail. And almost, I think four out of the five were upstairs, of course. So now upstairs, that affects the unit downstairs. Yep. When it the first one happened, a lady comes running into the office and screaming in Spanish to my uh, my property manager. And we went running into her, uh, into her unit because she was talking about it's raining in my unit. I'm like, what the hell do you mean it's raining in your unit? The roof is there. So we walk in. Sure enough, it's raining on her vanity. I'm like, what the hell's going on? So we go upstairs. Then the, uh, the maintenance guy walks in with us, goes up and talks to the resident, looks in the bathroom. There's a quarter size hole in the bottom of the bathtub. Like, well, why don't you, why didn't you let us know about this? No, no, no. It, it's okay. I just put my toe in it. I'm like, oh my God. So that, you know, 50 to $150 patch, it cost me a thousand to $2,000 every time because it went yeah. to the bottom unit. It destroyed a lot of sheetrock. I had to pull all the tub surrounds down and retile those. It was just a mess. So that was. That was one of the biggest things I, I learned that, you know what, that put a kink on a 48 unit. If I have to spend $2,000 to rip out and reinstall things, that's a lot of my cash flow, yep. right? Because I'm getting roughly back then $200 per unit per month in free cash flow. Well, hell, that's five months worth of cash flow for one unit. So yeah, that was that was one of the bigger mistakes that I made. But we've we've made hiring issues. We've had people steal from us. We find it pretty quickly and we get them out, right? So you hire enough people, eventually somebody's going to get over on you. So we've had that kind of stuff happen. Um, but, you know, that's probably the biggest mistake I've made. Yeah, due diligence, proper due diligence. And thinking, thinking about all the little things, which, like you said, who thinks of a bathtub? And those little plastic mat or little suction cup mats are the yep. worst thing that you can ever put on a bathtub. Because that just holds that water and, and it really ruins the bathtub. So, yep. Um, Oh, that's, that's crazy, crazy story. And, and it, like you said, of course it happened on the upper level, you know, of course, if it had happened on the, on the ground floor, it wouldn't have been that big a deal, right, but right. Uh, you know, so, well, we, we learn and we move on. It didn't ruin us. It did put a hit on our, our returns for a little while, but you know, I owned it as a first time. Uh, was that a syndication? Yeah, it was a, I've only syndicated. That's all I've ever done. Uh, but I had to own it uh, to my investors. And that was the the property that was causing me I cried a couple of times because I, I knew I was not performing. I was not hitting my projections. And when I kind of bared my soul, I said, my wife can, you know, corroborate this, that this is happening and I'm not sleeping and I'm sorry. I'm not, pro you know, they kind of in unison together said, look, it's okay. We knew we were investing in somebody with no experience. You're doing what needs to be done to fix it. You're communicating the problem to us and you're telling us what you're going to do to make sure it's not going to happen again. So that's the thing. We're all going to have issues. We're all going to struggle. If you do enough of these deals, you're going to have a deal that doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. It's just, there's no way around it. It's going to happen. It's a forgiving enough industry. As long as you buy with enough margin of safety, don't over leverage yourself, get out in front of issues, explain them away. 
you're going to be okay. Most people are very understanding and forgiving because we've all screwed up and made mistakes. So, you know, it's, it's not fun, but you got to do it. Yeah. And there's one massive lesson right there. And you said it a couple of times is you, you have to communicate. You have to communicate with your investors. The second you start trying to hide things, the second you try, start, just say, I'll brush it under the rug because we'll, we will fix it internally and nobody will know. That's when things go bad. That's when investors lose trust in you. That's when they get upset with, with you not paying your distributions. But when you did, when you do exactly what Bruce did, when you tell the investors, look, I'm sorry, this is what's going on, you know, and, and you're super honest with them and open to them, they're on your side. They understand it. And the, the vast majority, maybe one person gets upset, but you know what? They're even they're going to be okay because in the end, they realized you did as much work as you possibly could to make the issue go right. And you communicated well with them. You didn't hide anything. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Bruce, what's, um, what are, what are a couple success habits that you have maybe that you do every day or, or just kind of continually do? What are, what are some success habits for you? A lot. So one of the big things is Miracle Morning, Hal Elrod. It's that thing. It doesn't have to be exactly what he writes about in the book. If you haven't read the book, you should read the book, Miracle Morning. It can be a game changer to sound a little hyperbolic about it, but have a routine for the morning. Um, and then not just have a routine for the morning, what he talks about, and I'll probably butcher this a little bit, but, you know, take some time to, um, to meditate, to journal, get up and move around, get your blood flow going, you know, maybe just do some jumping jacks. You know, okay, I've got the mini um, trampoline in my office, which, which is called a rebounder. I saw it on Tony Robbins. I saw him do it before he goes out on stage. I thought, Hey, I want to do that. So I've got that throughout the day. I'll get up and bounce for a little while. It's just to get that blood moving. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. And, and one of the things in my morning routine, that's the most important for me, not just the journaling, but I heard this from Andy Frisella, a talk he gave at a 10X conference a few years ago. He called it his power five. But it's basically, okay, every day I wake up, there's things I have to get done. But I try to write down my top three to five or six things that I have to do today to move myself forward. That's it. Don't put down, go to the gym because you go to the gym every day. That's not fair. That's too, that's cheating, right? What are the things that I have to get done? Who do I need to talk to? What project do I need to complete or hand off or delegate? So if you just go into your day, sit down at your desk and just start going through email and reacting all day, it's going to be miserable. First of all, you're going to feel like you don't get anything done. And a lot of times you're not going to get much of anything done because you won't have focus. So I firmly believe if you will write those things down every single day, and maybe one thing has to bleed over from one day to the next because you didn't quite get to it, it's a way to make sure you're staying focused and on task. So that's a big one for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I love the morning routine, the miracle morning. I don't probably follow, I, I shouldn't say probably, I don't really follow it to the miracle morning, but I have my own. And I think that's, that's critical for anybody just getting the day started, right? Make sure you're focused completely. Um, and then that top three to five things is super important too. really having your rocks that you're going to make sure you get done that day. Right. Um, 
you know, this market's kind of crazy. Uh, and I don't ask this to most of my, of my guests, but for some reason I'm compelled to ask you, uh, what, what do you, what do you think about this market? Like, what are you guys doing right now in the real estate market and, and kind of, I don't know, let's, let's, let's talk market for a little bit. I think the market is super strong. A lot of people think it's overheated. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Nobody really knows, right? Nobody really knows what's going to happen tomorrow, which is yeah. kind of funny because our job as sponsors and syndicators is to project out <laughs> 10 years. Yeah. Like guys, I, I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. I have history, track record, experience to say, this is what's probably going to happen. And I can fairly confidently project out 10 years. But if you want the truth, their projections, it's a pro forma. This is what I think will happen. I don't know. Nobody really knows. But so, you know, I live in Austin. Uh, we invest in Central Texas and Tennessee, two very dynamic markets. But I, I don't see a, a stop in this for a while. We're, we're not going through another 2007. That's not what's happening now. You know, um, I just drew a blank here. Um, we're starting, you know, prices are getting away from us a little bit. Inflation is starting to really rage a little bit. Yep. But we've been through this before. We'll make it through this. I, I don't see cap rates expanding dramatically in the next two to four years. Yeah. I really don't. You know, the Fed has said that they will probably raise rates three times next year and three the year after. You just read the, the latest CBRE 2022 report. They say, look, we think that interest rates will start to creep up but we don't think it's going to have a direct correlation to cap rates for a while. You know, so the first one to three might not have a huge impact on cap rates. And everybody's like, well, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. Mm -mm. What people are trying to do when they're allocating money, big asset managers, big fund managers, they're trying to figure out, okay, where could I put my money and get the best return? And then they compare mm -hmm. that to all the other asset classes they can invest in. The delta between what they can get in multifamily yield versus other asset classes right now is almost a historic high. So you've got a lot of a lot of gap there that we can afford interest rates to go up and not have to have cap rates go up too much. So it won't probably move at a you know one to one uh, basis because it's still going to be the best use of their money, the best place to put their money. And on a risk adjusted basis, yeah, commercial is really strong, but especially multifamily. Yeah. And then you look at Austin, shit, Elon Musk is just coming. You know, they're going to open up that gigafactory real soon. It's almost done. He announced that his headquarters are going to, it's coming from Fremont into Austin, into the gigafactory. We've got that going on. We've got, um, I think HP's coming, uh, Samsung's coming, Facebook is adding more, Apple's adding more. We're growing like crazy. I was talking to Neil Bawa one day. He said, Bruce, why do you think cap rates can't go any lower? Like, Neil, how much lower can they go? Have you been buying? Have you been watching San Francisco? Like, New York? I'm like, oh. He goes, anywhere outside of the U.S.? They're right. all at two caps. That That's that's the, the thing that I look at is when you look at these – Here's, here's what I think a lot of people forget or don't think about is that we think about our little bubble, right? We think about the markets we're in. We forget about San Francisco, New York, some of these other markets. But we also forget about Canada. We forget about pretty much all of Europe. Forget about most of Asia. And these cap rates are next to zero in those yeah. countries. 2%, 3% maybe if you're lucky. It's a global economy. People from 
Canada, Canada's our biggest investor in US real estate right now. You know, people from all over the world can invest in US real estate. They're competing in their own country for a two cap. When they come to our country and they see four cap, holy cow, like that's amazing. They're getting double the value, right? We forget right. about that. And we, we don't account for that. Right. And what I talk to people about a lot right now, and I've been trying to you know share this message a little bit, which surprises people. And we'll go into that too, maybe. But people are like, why are you sharing this information with me? I'm your competitor. Okay. Yeah. Technically, I guess you are, but there's so much of this shit out there. I don't worry about you competing with yeah. me because I know most people that I share information with won't do anything with it. Well, the other true, part too. of you that will, there's so much out there for all yeah. of us to get our peace. I'm not worried about it, but so what we've started doing, we've been operating in the two to 400 unit space for a while. Well, our last two purchases, we're going through a close right now on a 27 unit. Hmm. And the close before that was a 48 unit. Hmm. People are like, what are you doing? Well, I'm always looking for the hole in the market. I'm looking for the opportunity. And what I'm noticing, and it's been like this for a little while, but it seems to be getting worse and worse. Anything below 150 units institutional money can't really play there. It's too small. Yep. It's like Warren Buffett. I can't buy a two cent stock. It doesn't move my needle at all. Even if it you know, quadruples overnight, they can't really operate below 150 units for the most part. Mom and pop in today's market where I buy, they almost can't even afford anything above 20 units. Yep. So between 20 and 150, there's this sweet little pocket for me. The, the competition's not nearly as strong. Yeah. They're more difficult to run. I self-manage. Even if you don't self-manage, it's hard to find somebody willing to third-party manage a 27 unit without raping you. It's not, I shouldn't say it that way. They well, have to do what they have to do to run their business. Yeah. So they have, they have a minimum um, that well, you just can't afford to pay. And there's a lot less professional companies out there that Absolutely. are willing to manage a 42 unit building or whatever it might be. Exactly. They're okay when they get to that 200 unit building, because now they can have staff on site, they can have a regional manager, all that kind of stuff. But when you get to that 42 unit building, we don't have staff. We, eh, we don't want to manage that. So now you get the other, the other companies that are trying to grow, but they're not yet quite professional. Exactly. So, you know, and I self-manage, so it's a little easier for me, yep. but you know, where I've got a 200 unit right down the street from the 48 that I just bought, if I were to list that today, I got a BOV, a broker's opinion of value from one of my one of my favorite brokers here locally. I said, what do you think I can get for? He goes, well, I could tell it for a three and a quarter cap. I'm like, what? He said, yeah. Like, okay. I mean, I, I pay attention wow. to the market, but that still surprised me wow. because it's a C property. It's a, yeah, it's a C property in a D plus to a C minus neighborhood. It's in wow. a pretty rough pocket of Austin, Texas. And he still said, he said, Bruce, Austin is nuts. Well, okay, a three and a quarter. I just bought this 48 unit four months ago now, right down the street from it, about a mile, mile and a half away. And I got it for over, what was it, like a four and a half cap. No, it was over. No, it was a 5.39 cap on current with my grossed up taxes. I'm like, why don't I play in this little sandbox for a little longer? Mm. Yeah, it's a little harder for me as the management company to deal with it, but I'm the one that has to deal with that and, and I'll figure it out. Yep. Um, but yeah, the yield that I'm finding down there, the 27 unit that I'm buying right now, I'll talk about it because our cash raise is done. Um, 
but you know, an IRR on a three-year hold for a 27 unit A class property, 17. Hmm. The average annualized return is projected to be 19. It's because those it's, are it's very attractive numbers for Austin. Especially for A. Well, this for one's a. in San Antonio, but okay. especially for an A property. Even San Antonio. You know, an A property, it's a mid-rise elevator service, sub yeah. uh, subterranean underground parking. I mean, it's it's fantastic. It was built as condos. I could, if I owned it now and it was running properly, it's not being managed properly right now. That's why I'm getting such a good deal on it. But I could probably sell it for a three and a half cap. It's an A property in a strong uh, submarket of San Antonio, which is a great market. So again, it just goes back to the 20 to 150 seems to be a special little pocket right there. I'd still rather own a 400 because as a manager of the management company, the owner, it's a lot easier to manage that 400 unit than it is a 27 unit, but my returns are dramatically higher on that 27. Yeah. 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 That's an interesting thought. You don't hear too many people saying, I'm going to start buying smaller properties. Uh, but I do have a couple of friends that that's, that's exactly what they're doing. They're focusing on smaller properties uh, because of exactly what you just said. Uh, they're finding that there's a lot of mom pas that own these properties that don't run them very professionally. And if they can come in, they can bring pro professional management and systems, actual true systems into the property. That five and a half cap that they're able to buy it at turns into a, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever cap, it, they gets a major equity because they actually bring a professional operation to it. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. Let's shift gears a little bit. I got a couple last questions. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, what's a book that you can recommend to our listeners? We talked about this earlier. I like to say something different than everybody. Richest man in Babylon, think and grow rich, rich, rich dad, poor dad. We all know about those, especially people that are watching uh, or listening to you. I'm sure they're pretty sophisticated. One of the coolest ones that I've read recently is just random. It was Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. It's a great book. I mean, he's such a phenomenal storyteller. And uh, it just shows you anything's possible and take chances on yourself. Believe in yourself. You know, there, you know, there's parables and there's messages in there. I don't read a lot of, in fact, I don't read any direct real estate books at all. Yeah. Not at all. You know, um, Another good one, I think, could help people, Killing Sacred Cows by a friend of mine, Garrett Gunderson. Incredibly good book. It helps poke holes in the dogma crap we've all been told and taught about finances, about jobs, about savings, about the banking system, about insurance. It's another really, really good one that I recommend to a lot of people. Love it. Love it. It's a season of giving right now. What, you know, I know, I know you do a lot of things with, with educating and, and helping people out. Um, what do you, what do you maybe like to do or what are you doing to, uh, to give back? A lot of what I do directly is I just, I just help as many people as I can. Yes, I have education. Yes, I have uh, workshops that we teach and, you know, we charge for that because it's a, it, there's, it, it's a lot of work. Yeah. There's a lot of overhead for that kind yeah. of stuff. So I do charge for that stuff, but I had a guy call me one day. Well, he got time on my Calendly. He scheduled time on my calendar. We talked for a half hour. We get done. He says, man, look, why? I'm like, why what? He goes, why did you just give me a half hour of your time, I Lord knows you're busy, and you gave me real actionable advice. 
not fluff advice to try to suck me into your system and charge me. You just told me what I needed to tell, what I needed to know to go do the things that I'm trying to do. Why did you do? First of all, I I'm, don't mean to sound like a douchebag, but I'm kind of successful now. I've got a team. So first of all, I'm not doing the day-to-day hammer swinging anymore. I don't drive the nails myself. I have a staff of highly paid people that I have do that. But secondly, if I help you, it doesn't take from me. I think it helps me because I'm not a big spiritual person, but I do believe in karma. Like if I put lots of good out in the world, somehow directly or indirectly, it'll come back to me. And if it doesn't, I don't care, but it usually does. And then thirdly, I said, this is very selfish and self-serving right? But it's the truth. The more people I can teach to buy their time back, to own their schedule themselves, their calendar themselves, the more cool kids I get to play with. Mm -hmm. If I can help you not have to go to that cubicle job tomorrow or flipping burgers tomorrow, you have freedom of schedule now too. So now maybe we can go play golf together. Maybe we can go to Park City together. Yeah. So there is a selfish component to it too. That's how I give back the most though. I try to just help anybody I can. I don't need to monetize every transaction. Other than that, you know, we adopt families during Christmas, um, you know, as far as gift giving, we help there. We've, we've done uh, school supply drives at some of our lower income properties. So we're always looking, I don't do a good enough job of it, right? I'll be honest. Um, I'd like to give 10 to 20% of our gross uh, income each year. I never hit that number because I get my head down and I'm busy working and I forget to look up sometimes and, Oh, wait, you know, so we don't do as much as we should, but I, I've never put a monetary value on all the meetings and phone calls and lunches and all that, but that's how I give back the most for me. Yeah. I mean, give, giving monetarily obviously is is, is super helpful, but giving of your time is just as valuable. Uh, One of the other, one of the reasons I asked that is because I I've been consciously thinking about, how I've been giving and feeling the same way I've been falling short and I want to see what are other people doing? What, what are you, what's everybody else doing? And, um, you know, it's been a decision, like I'm trying to be very purposeful in 2022 to how I serve others and how I give to others. So that's the kind of the, the reason for that question. All right. So last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Three pillars of wealth creation. Um, This will be esoteric probably, but just believe in yourself and take a chance on yourself. Don't listen to the shit around you. Most people around you are going to try to tear you down. Um, Some people are going to do it subconsciously. They're not even going to realize they're consciously doing it, but you're going to get negative self-speak all the time. So tune those people out positive self-speak. I talked to a guy, I was in uh, San Francisco a couple months ago. And I gave a talk about, I, I did a case study for people and tried to explain the virtues of investing primarily in real estate and multifamily. He comes up to me later and he says, Hey man, I want to do what you do. I'm like, oh, great. Well, how can I help? You know, I, I don't know. I'm getting started too late. He's 26. <laughs> I don't, I don't have what my friends had when they started and this didn't work for me. And I got to go. I was like, I was like, you know, I, I got some news for you. And he goes, what's that? This is not going to work for you. You're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. And he's like, well, how? he was crushed. I'm like, dude, I should have recorded you. Yeah. All everything coming out of your mouth. You're telling yourself you can't do it. Right. So there's no chance in hell you're ever going to do anything. 
congratulations. And I hope you like this miserable life you're setting up for yourself. Get out of your own head. Surround yourself. It's the five, you know, it's that whole thing. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. If they aren't empowering you, lifting you up and driving you forward, walk away from them. Even if it's your family, still love your family, of course. But you have to, I've had to cleave family members and dude, it sucks and it's painful and I cry over it, but you got to do it. You want to wallow in shit and self-pity and doubt. Oh, I mean, I can help you, but I am not coming down to the place you're playing. Not going to do it. So those are the two biggest things. Um, and then third, it all kind of ties together in a way that I don't have a problem paying. And I'm not saying this because I want you to pay me. I don't want you to pay me when you're listening. I don't want to be your mentor. I don't want to be your coach. But I pay a lot of money to people to get as, as Gary Vaynerchuk says, to get as close to the sun as I can. I gave Garrett Gunderson before I knew him, I gave him a lot of money. I got to spend a whole day with him at his cabin. I stayed overnight and we just brainstormed. I was willing to invest in me to get close to him. I gave Gary Vaynerchuk $10,000 to be in a room with him in his offices in New York. I gave Jeff Hoffman, the founder of Priceline.com, thousands of dollars to sit in a room with him uh, in a small group to listen to what he had to share. Invest in yourself. And I, I know everybody says it, but damn, do it. it just, I, I don't know how to drive that home strongly enough that we probably spend 10% of our gross each year on that kind of thing. Personal trainers, um, spiritual people in our lives, business coaches, life coaches, it, and even if I only pick one thing from what that person shared, if I gave Gary Gutterson 25 grand and I only got one actionable thing, that one actionable thing, if I'll really do it, it's going to lead to hundreds, if not millions of dollars. Yep. So don't be afraid. You know, the people all the time on bigger pockets and all these, oh, don't pay for education. It's all free. They're all scam artists. It's all, they're all guru bullshit people. Have fun going back to work at 7 Eleven, jackass. I'm not telling you to pay me, but why will you give Baylor or why will you give Stanford a yeah. quarter million right. dollars, right. but you won't pay somebody that can, has a proven record of creating million-dollar people? I, I, don't, I don't understand that at all. It just makes no sense. So long-winded answer, I guess, and not very concise, but yeah, that's my thing. It's always putting back in you. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think where a lot of the quote unquote gurus or where people that people go, oh, you don't pay anybody. It's because they didn't take action. They paid for, or they heard about somebody. A lot oh, of yeah. I heard about it, but you know, here's the thing is if you're going to pay somebody to get their advice, first of all, be very serious and understand what you're paying for. Like you said at the beginning, like, you know, all these people are, are out there telling you how you can succeed, which is great. But is it, are you even cut out for it? Like, are you even going to take the action? Are you ready for it? And if you're not, why go, why pay for it? That's what happens a lot. I think, I think that's why a lot of these mentors get a bad name is because they excite people. People aren't even qualified to be there. Right. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be getting advice from them and they pay, they get advice and they do nothing. 
And then they go and wallow in their self-pity because they spent $20,000 on some mentor and they did nothing. And now they're drinking wine and crying in their bed sheets. <laughs> I was, uh, I gave a talk at a local real estate group in Houston and I was at the front of the room and, you know, again, I'm just being real with everybody. That's, that, that's kind of my brand, right? I'm just going to tell you the truth. I want to tell you what you might not want to hear, but I'm going to tell you the truth. So I'm at the front of the room and I said, look, I'm so tired of people giving me $20,000 to teach them how to do this. And I, and I opened the whole thing up and I say, this is what you go. And then you don't go do anything with what I told you. And now I'm the bad guy. Well, how the hell does that work? I told you what to do. You're too scared to go do the things that I'm going to tell you to do, or you're too arrogant. Oh, no. Why are you paying somebody? And you're not going to listen to them. Oh, I'm I'm the best Slurpee maker in the history of 7-Eleven. I know what I no, you obviously don't know what you're doing because you're still working at 7-Eleven. Nothing wrong with working at 7-Eleven. Don't take me wrong. But you came to this person for a reason. Now you won't act upon this yeah. stuff they gave you because most of the time it's out of fear and nerves. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right that there is such a bad taste in people's mouths because they've heard bad things from people that didn't execute on what they were taught but then honestly let's be fair in the 80s 70s there were a lot of charlatans out there a ton of them and many of them are or have been in prison because they were dishonest people i think the industry has started to change most people like you uh i was just at jake and gino uh the wheelbarrow profits multifamily mastery um, a lot of people are out there doing it the right way now they're not slime balls. They're open. They're, they're teaching you the right way with compassion and with transparency, how to do this. Choose not to do it if you want. That's fine. But it's out there and people are willing to teach you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good stuff, Bruce. I mean, I think we could keep going for a while, but um, we got to wrap the show up eventually, right? Yep. So, man, how can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about what you got going on? So the, the big thing, apartmentguy.com, which is apt-guy.com. Um, if you're interested in investing, you can set up a time to talk with one of my team to get you into the system. Uh, you can pick up the book. You know, it's 20 bucks to teach you how to syndicate if you think it's right for you. Uh, or streetversity.com, which is where I sell all of my education. It's my educational website. So you can check things out there. Uh, we teach a lot of workshops. Uh, and then we have just a lot of digital content too. Or... As again, I mentioned, Gary Vaynerchuk convinced me, you got to be on TikTok. I'm on TikTok. So you can find me on TikTok. And that's why I pulled it up earlier. It's Bruce APT guy. Uh, no, it's Bruce APT guy Peterson. So you can find me on TikTok. I'm giving away free content all the time, teaching you how to do it without any ask in return. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. You're on TikTok. All right. All right. I'm a 53 year old dude. And everybody's like, what? I'm like, I'm not doing goofy 13 year old trend dances. Yeah. I'm, my content is very dry, but it's very specific on this is how you do this. This is exactly yeah. what this means. This is how you get paid when you do a syndication. So I'm giving real advice. Love it. Love it. Well, Bruce, again, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the show. I learned a ton. Our listeners certainly got a lot of value out of this. So I really appreciate it. Uh, you have a fantastic rest of the day, man. Same to you, brother. Thanks for having me on. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.